Hosting for this podcast is made possible through mtgcast.com, which is supported by a generous contribution from quietspeculation.com, Magic's premier trading and financial news site. The Freed from the Real podcast is brought to you each week by puremtgo.com, mtgotraders.com, and capefeargames.com. You can listen to us each week on puremtgo.com, mtgotraders.com, and mtgcast.com. So 222, 222. With me is the uh, good uh, Kia Soleil. Hey, everyone. And the duplicitous Sebastian Park. Well, could you say that again? I'm not really quite sure what you said there. <laughs> Nor am I, but uh, I'm sure our listeners will be able to write in and say what it is. Duplicitous. sure Merriam-Webster can help you out on that. Duplicitous, yes. Oh, anyway. Oh, that book. anyway, as ever, this is the Free From Real podcast, bringing you all the news is fit to listen to regarding the online game and stuff from the offline game of interest to us. Now, one thing which is online only but very much of interest, the wide beta has been postponed. This was initially going to be last week, uh, lasting two days when everybody was forced to use the new shiny client and nobody could use the one which was relatively bug-free. Relatively. Yeah. There have been a couple of interesting ones uh, lately. Yeah, but comparatively bug-free. Well, comparatively less bugged. Let's be entirely accurate here. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, no, I mean, it's surprising, I guess, um, because obviously they want to try to make a timetable, but obviously they do not want to have the majority of Magic players, especially those that haven't actually played on the beta yet, have a extremely negative experience of that. Quite frankly, at this point, I'm not sure how they're going to do that unless they completely change the client, because it's hard not to have a negative experience with it, it seems, at the moment. Um, but to in order to avoid that, they've, de- they've delayed it. Yeah, I mean, also the other issue, in all honesty, is they have to figure out when the expected value of switching over is going to be worth it. Because it's going to be negative regardless. Like it's, it's, change is never met with happiness, especially in the magic community. So you have to expect there to be a certain amount of negative feedback. And the question is, like, how much are you willing to tolerate? And I think here, they did a good job of realizing, and Chris is great at this, they did a good job of realizing that, you know, we will see some negative stuff here, but not, but it's a little bit more than we want at this point. Yeah. No, I mean, and that's that's true. Magic players complain no matter what in some cases. Um, While we were looking up some stuff, I found a really interesting thread where, Someone pointed out that unblockable seems to be changing to can't block or can't be blocked. And people were talking about it, how this is terrible and it's bad for the game and it's just dumbing down the game. And I'm like, okay, now you're just complaining just to complain. So clearly that does happen. But in the case of the wide beta, there would be some legitimate gripe along with the general complaints. So I can understand them wanting to keep that at bay until they can make it a positive experience, if possible. And then the other consideration that I thought was pretty interesting was that we it would affect the incoming Dragon Maze supply into Magic Online. So theoretically, if you have a good idea of how Magic Online is supplied, 
on the cards on the digital objects and whatnot on the client. We know like how many cards usually is pumped out from the pre-release, how many are pumped out from the release events. It would be an interesting strain on the the like magic online economy to like have in a, a separate client without bots, without really use of anybody like MTGO traders, for example. And it would be very hard for people to really enjoy Dragon Maze as it comes out, especially in, in lieu of the upcoming Pro Tour. Yeah. On top of that, um, there's past um, mileage for this. There's uh... Uh, for those of us who have been on here about a decade, we remember the eighth pre-release and rather release events, uh, which were concurrent with the change from the original client to the uh, second one with all the chaos that ensued there. Uh, Chuck's virtual party, uh, the death of leagues, all that simultaneous with the release of a set. Yeah, and, that's, and I mean, I think that did affect um, the level of 8th edition that was on Magic Online for a while and caused some some price fluctuations within some cards, if I recall correctly. Yeah, it was uh, massively... Um, it was not a fun time to be um, part of the uh, MTGO community. Mm-hmm. And I think we experienced kind of the same thing here, like shortly after the release of version 3. I think that was around the time of, like, Shadowmoor and Eventide. That was compounded by the sheer amount of uh, crashes we were getting on the old client. That was more a case of they had to switch because the old one was not going to stand up much longer. Yes. Um, and so, I th- and I think you even see that now somewhat. I mean, also, and there are other factors to play into Shadow more. Like, I know some people weren't a big fan of it in a limited format. It's also in a weird situation of being a full block that was only drafted for part-time type situation, and there was another full block available to draft if you didn't like it. But I think we also still see some of the effects of the, the changeover at that time on the supply of those cards. Yeah, it's a relatively underdrafted, under-stocked um, set. But um, it's something which they uh, should have tried, if only to uh, not try it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think this would be a tricky time because if they would, you know, especially with everything that we got going on, we've got Modern Masters coming up, a new base set. Like that's not something. That's, especially, but especially Modern Masters is not something you want to lead to a point where there's going to be a cause for players to not play as much and, and cut the supply on that. Right. I mean, yeah. I think the best time probably would be around a base uh, a base set coming up, just because it's, it'll, take, it'll test the uh, the load on the clients. But the base sets have so many reprints because it's a base set that we might be able to take an economic hit from that, or just ignore the, the, um, the economics of it altogether. Right. Um, another factor, I think, was the um, uh, a number of traders were not trading, or at least would not be trading, on the uh, beta as it was because of bugs with trading. So um, you can imagine the impact that would have around the whole start of a release of a set. How do you get rid of your cards? How do you um, keep your um, finances flowing if there's no one to actually buy and sell at a reasonable rate? And I think it would have been an interesting thing for people to some people to see because you hear so many people rail against um, bots and bot chains and things like that, but I don't realize, necessarily realize how important they are to the efficiency of the Magic Online environmental ecosystem. And you know, if we were in that situation where we switch over and there are no bots online and it's strictly human to human trading, like I know AJ, you remember those days and, and how yeah. it can be so difficult to track down some cards that you want. And then oftentimes at an unreasonable price for the card is just because the inefficiency of the marketplace. Yep, efficient markets are great. People sometimes forget about that. Yep, um, it's also the, the just the knowledge of it. I mean, it's, you could spend 
ages flicking through a um, or ages trying to find anybody who had what you wanted. And if you were after something obscure for an old format, then out of luck. It was it wasn't helped by the trade system in the original versions, which has never been one of the shining glories of Magic Online. You can say that for sure. Right then. Now, talking of shining glories, let's move on to the Premier Play updates. Um, so yeah, they recently announced the change uh, for the Pro Tour for the 2013-14 season. We went over that before. And they've made a couple of adjustments based on some feedback. One, and I know Sebastian, you were talking about this, they did change the Platinum Threshold, dropping it from 50 points where it was to now only being 45 Pro Points in order to qualify at Platinum. Yeah, that was great. They, I think they, they did the math. They realized that standard deviations work differently. And you can't have the standard deviations and the way you do percentages and the way things are curved up work differently than expected. And so they brought it back to 45. I think it's a solid change. I think the I think it's the marginal difference. The the dif- the difficulty from going from silver to gold, uh, with is probably the same, gaining I think what was it ten points as or fifteen points as it would be to gain the extra five which reached gold. So. Yeah, yeah. I think I think you're right, and I'm sure lots of people you know sent in lots of very compelling mathematical arguments to show them, uh, why that was a worthwhile change. And the other thing was kind of a clarifying and reworking of how silver level invites work. Um, because they want to make sure people are properly incentivized to play. So if you do have a silver invite, kind of the invite of last resort, essentially. So even if you are silver invited to a Pro Tour, you can still try and compete in a, a PTQ and try and qualify that way so that then you get the airfare and all the things that come with that. And then your silver qualification would be deferred to the next Pro Tour that you are not qualified for. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a pretty good fix. And also that way, silvers can stack throughout a season. So if you can um, maintain that. Yeah. Although uh, the single release only lasts for a single season, um, or if it's after the, you qualify at the end of a season, only for the next season. At the end of the season, all qualification, all silver qualifications are reset. Yes. Uh, but it gives you a little more flexibility and not um, basically the. It's back to they don't want to disincentivize you. Like if you have a silver qualification, they're like, oh, you know, you can't go to PTQs. Well, they don't want that to be the case, or you can't go to to Grand Prix because it's not worth it to you. Well, now the silver can carry over, so it's not like you're wasting it if you win a PTQ, which is a good a good a good fix. And let's see, what else do we have? Ah, Magic 2014, our next corset to be upon us. Yes, there's um. Some old friends coming back, shall we say. With a little bit of a new look and a new style. Um, of all the various... Um, of all the trends of making various species humanoid in Magic's history, everything from the original Cat Warriors to Loxodon to Rocks to just about everything, you wouldn't have expected Slivers to be on the list. But... We have the artwork for a number of slivers coming out of the next set, and they're bipedal, two-armed, and look fairly, well, some of them are two-armed, but the majority of them look human. There are some which retain elements of the original sliver look, but there's very much a humanization going on here, and Looking at it from a rules perspective, they've been brought into Dine with the 
more modern wording, which means you control. Huh. Um, so yeah, the, I think it's part of the new world order for simplification and clarification of the game state, um, and also for how cards work. And so yeah, this, these new slivers are changed to be effective only amongst your own slivers. They do still affect themselves. Um, that's another thing that's been in contention is whether or not it's other creature types you control. Um, but in this case, it is themselves. So for example, Steel Form Sliver, who is a uh, Grey Ogre, a 2-mana 2-2, two two, says slivers you control get plus 0, plus 1. So in reality, he is a 3-mana 2-3. Two three. And AJ, an important note if on the flavor text of him, just a reminder, though the slivers may sometimes resemble us, they are not human. So they're directly coming at you with that. Now, the other thing I find intriguing there is who that's attributed to. <laughs> yes, it's actually... They, it's actually talking to the dragons. These slivers resemble us dragons, but you know, they, they are not us. I'm not familiar with the character on that one. I'm looking more at the job description. Paladin of the Northern Verge. There's a certain card from Alpha who might well fit part of that description. The Paladin of the North? The Northern Paladin. Yeah. It's possible. You never know. Yeah. But yeah, so far we've got um, updates. One thing we can see just changing to the slivers is kind of in the pattern they did with Time Spiral, where it seems that the effects have gotten a little bit bigger, but also so have the slivers. Like a, one of the big issues of the early slivers in Tempest is that they were very cheap, and so it was very easy to quickly compound on one another and you know grow really quickly. And a lot of two mana slivers and then three mana slivers. Here we have um, a five mana sliver, a seven mana sliver. A three mana, a two mana, another three mana. So they've gotten a little bit bigger to start, um, which will really, which will keep them from hitting that critical mass of effects too quickly. Blur sliver seems to be at the standard uh, creatures you control have haste cost, which is the uh, uh, three creatures you control have haste one at three mana. Um, same price as venerable cards such as uh, Goblin Warchief, Goblin Chieftain, and uh, Fervor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not not uncommon for that, and we even have a, a creature in Gatecrash right now. I can't think of the three mana two two that gives all your creatures haste and makes them attack. Battle Sliver is kind of reminiscent of uh, what was it, Might Sliver in Time Spiral, the the five mana two two that gave them all plus two plus two. Yep, this is a five mana three three which gives them all plus two plus zero. So it's sort of the um, uh, hybrid of uh, Might Sliver and Bone Splitter Sliver. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, we also have a very basic, the low end of Slivers, and that's Striking Sliver, who's just your lowly 1-mana one 1-1 one one, uh, with First Strike, and gives all Slivers you control First Strike. Oh, and no so, Sliver Queen, by the way. Just a point. Yeah. Uh, reserve List strikes again. Doesn't mean we can't get Sliver Overlord, though, right? Right. Not that we really gives, want. <laughs> well, Sliver Overlord's still a decent Sliver Lord. Um, he's no Queen, but he can certainly tutor up and capture anything. Actually, he could. You could well see Sliver Overlord because he does have the. Uh, he certainly has a playability element to him. Steal your opponent's slivers, um, especially with the um, you control aspect of that still there, and tutoring up slivers. It seems a bit of a shoo-in, really. Sliver Legion was always a bit of a dull card. Yeah, <laughs> uh, wasn't as much fun as the other ones, uh, but certainly a possibility to consider. One thing I think is interesting is that what. This opens up for possibilities in, in base set limited. Typically, you don't see people branching out into significant 
multi-colors in really stick to just two colors, maybe a splash. It's a very basic limited format. But if slivers do indeed exist and cover all colors, that might change things. Now, right now, we don't know that they do. So far, the only slivers we have spoiled are green, red, and white. Um, we have yet to see a black or blue sliver being previewed. But if there are any number of them, it'll be interesting to see what that can do for um, limited play in the base set. might shake things up a little bit. Now, it seems um, if there is a reprint, it will be one of the uh, Lords, which, or at least a card which doesn't matter if it uh, affects all slivers. Overlord seems a good bet. Um, Queen could work, but isn't going to be reprinted. Legion wouldn't, because that affects all slivers. <clears throat> they might create a new card called Sliver Chancellor or something like that. Yeah, they can always make a new Lord, if they feel up to it. Yes. How about an Emperor of the Slivers? You can do that. Sliver High Commander. Sliver Narbob. There's, there's, there's lots of options. Even, and then we, well, no, I guess I was going to say they could do a named Sliver, but that really kind of be against the whole flavor of Slivers to have Slivers, an actual specific person. Wouldn't mind another five-color Sliver, actually. Um, it'd be a useful tribe for um, uh, Pitch Bell Landless decks, which are a um, interest of mine, which usually I use um, Avatars for these days. Yeah. Yeah, that could work. All right, uh, but we'll keep you posted. I'm sure we'll be hearing more about uh, Magic 2014 in the coming months, um, yeah. and certainly more about the Slivers. Speaking of things to look forward to, if you're going to Gen Con this year, be sure to be disappointed at the lack of Legacy and Vintage <coughs> Championships. Huh. Yeah, apparently those events will not be occurring at Gen Con this year, though they, they have said they will occur. Um, yes. They just won't be hosting them at Gen Con. They're currently working on details for that being finalized. It's crazy. That's just been going on for so long to have the Vintage and Legacy events at Gen Con. So. Uh, but maybe they have some interesting, bigger and better plans for that event. And in general, uh, Wizards has always seen fit to have like their major events or things that they're interested in really promoting separate from any kind of major convention. It seems. Yep. You know, originally I think World, like the first like couple of events took place there. Maybe just the first one. And then eventually they moved it onto their own thing, and they really wanted to grow beyond just being part of the convention, even though Gen Con is the largest North American uh, gaming convention. Now, the thought occurs that if they released a modern event there, should uh, vintage players be worried? I don't know. There's a, there's a lot of speculation. Obviously, there's the sky is falling, vintage is, is dead, and Wizards is never going to do anything for it again crowd. And I think they have a fair point. Um, one thing that was talked about is something about some kind of 20-year celebration um, as a possibility. Another thing that's been talked about is the fact that perhaps this might be some way to have an event that ties into the release of Power 9 on Magic Online. There's a, there's a wide variety of, of theories out there about what, what's going on. Uh, but interesting news that we'll have to wait for. And then finally, we have some, some lame news that we have, unfortunately, to be part of. Yeah. The Mox Season 6 promo is a little less powerful than some of the previous season, uh, Mox promos. And by a little less powerful, I mean... Oy. You mean absolute garbage. <laughs> that's what you really mean. Zero, zero with Trample for three, anybody? Yeah, yeah that's right. Magic Online Season 6 promo is going to be Cryptborn Horror. Woo. Like, yeah. woo. This is just terrible. Like, this is absolutely terrible. Yeah. Didn't we start the season... Didn't we start this... Your seasons with Force of Will is our promo. Yep. They, they've got a little bit downhill since then. 
Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, you have to come down from Force of Will. I understand that. There's nowhere to really go up. You could always go for Lion's Eye Diamond or even the Power Nine. I mean, that'd be up. Yeah, that's I mean, yeah, value wise, certainly Lion's Eye Diamond. I think for for overall desire, I think uh, at the time Force of Will is still higher. But Power Nine would have been a step up. But I mean, they had to move down. But Supreme Verdict, like, yes, not a super valuable card, but certainly played and cool to get alternate, alternate art. Cryptoid Horror is just terrible. Like, absolutely terrible. Mm, not going to lie, I took up what it was. I mean, and I think I think someone asked and, like, Worth tweeted something back and he said something effective, like, yeah, the variability in the promos for Moxus is not what we wanted. And I was like, I would say so. Like, if you compare a five-cent junk rare that doesn't even see play unlimited versus Force of Will, that's a lot of variability. Yeah, that's at least three orders of magnitude we're talking about here. Yeah. I mean, we had... We had Savannah, which is like a, an expensive card that is played that is very cool. You have uh, Supreme Verdict, which we had, which is a, you know not a terribly expensive card, but cool MC's play. Uh, we had Mind's Eye at one point, I think, which is kind of a niche card in like some other formats, not competitively played, but certainly usable to someone. Yeah. No one wants Cryptborn Horror. Yeah, Mind's Eye is really big in Commander. It's pretty much the default uh, uh, drop it and draw five cards um, card, if yeah. you will. In any deck. Yeah, and I mean, and it's well known that during release and pre-release times, like, the Moxie's promos are worse because people are already playing in the events anyways because their new sets come out and they're releasing them. They don't have to incentivize us to play as much. But Cryptor Horror, I mean, really, you couldn't find anything else that was remotely small and decent? Like, yeesh. Yeah, that's not a card which... I think I did try to use it once and ditch it from the deck and put something else in. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised. So yeah, um, nothing to get excited about. Just play and release events as per normal. You know, try and qualify if you want to qualify, but don't worry about earning this junky promo. All right, um, I think that's kind of covers for news this week. I will take a second to let my blood pressure calm back down. <laughs> yep. And speaking of things coming down, let's have a look at the Dragon's Maze pre-release prizes. Yes. So we have the pre-release prices in, and I'm sure by now, um, as this podcast goes live, we'll be in the release time, so things might have even changed more. But right now we've got a couple of Mythics ruling the roost, and the biggest one atop is the Voice of Resurgence. So that is your lottery pick from the set at just under 35 tickets. Who would have thought that a 2-2 hate bear would be worth something? Yeah. Seriously. Um, yeah, a green, just a green and a white for a 2-2 that has some effect to punish your opponent and makes it really good. Not, yeah. A lot of good applications for that card. And obviously it's already seen play in standard, in hex group. I'm sure it will exist in classic and modern and various other formats. After that, the, the typical fanfare goes to the Planeswalker, Ral Zarek, who has some use, but more importantly is a Planeswalker, so he seems to be valuable. Um, 1944. And then our last big card is Blood Baron of Vishkopa at 1051. Yes, this is the one which, uh, if you're at 30 life and your opponent's at 10 life, wins you the game. Bit of a win more card, but much less so than the uh, previous mentioned promo. One thing, one thing which jumped out at me here was that there's only one split card above a, sing, above a um, single ticket on the list. Beck and Call, the uh, glimpse for Glimpse the Unthinkable number 5 to 8, plus a flock of birds if you really need them. 
is nature. Not Glimpsian, thank you. That's a different split card. Yeah. Glimpsian nature, there's the. Um, that's just over a ticket, um, and probably drop below that by the time you hear this. Um, but yeah, that's uh, poised to take the position of the banned glimpse in all sorts of modern decks. Yeah, and potentially could do stuff in standard or other formats too. Like everybody likes birds, right? They are the word. <laughs> I got that. Quite so. All right. Uh, so there's some other fun stuff hanging around at decent prices as well. Um, Advent of the Worm, the you know hastily deployed five five from nowhere. I'm sure can chomp on an attacker. Is it six seventy eight? Uh, Deathbridge Chant, which has seen a little play as one or two of, is good for 535 at the moment. Legion's Initiative is at a solid $5 for the Anthem slash Anti-Wrath slash Haste Granting Enchantment. And then the Progenitor Mythic, Progenitor Mimic, which is a Mythic, is also available at 557. Um, the card which R&D, uh, we hope they get uh, well from their bus-related injuries soon for, is uh, currently at uh, 1.6 each, Plasm Capture. The Mythic Land is just shy of two tickets at Maze's End. Yep, and we have a couple of interesting ones. The Sire of Insanity, which has already seen some play as well, is available for 324 right now. Um, and also interesting, you know, you got to get yours, as we were talking about earlier, to try and have the race towards the super turn one and legacy of turn one ritual Entomb, Exhum, um, to wipe your opponent's hand out before they've had a chance to play anything. And meanwhile, you've got a 6-4. Which is a pretty nice turn one if your opponent doesn't have the force of will. What interests me is the rare demon is more expensive than the mythic demon, which is at 2.7 currently, Master of Cruelties. Um, that's the one which um, knocks your opponent down to one life or just kills something in the way. Uh, interest, still an interesting card and a really cool design, I think, whether or not it'll be able to do something is another question. Right. Um, if you think it can, certainly now, or in the coming days of the release events would be the time to pick it up. Yeah. Um, any way you can think of to deal one damage to your opponent is a uh, two-card win condition with this guy. Um, and then there's a couple others just hanging around. Um, Aetherlings, 317. Savage Point Hydra, 258. Reap Intellect, $1.60. Gaze of Granite, $1.75. Blood Scrivener, $1.69. And then a couple more one and two dollar cards, but honestly a pretty light list, especially since we're still in the pre-release time. But also I guess it's the fact that I'm we're not used to seeing these short lists because it's a small set, which we haven't had in forever. The last like five sets, I think, right? I think Dark yeah. Dark Sinjin was our last small set, right? That sounds about right. I mean, we've they've been opening it really long. Yeah, because we have Avatar Restore was a big set. Obviously, Magic 2013 was a big set. Yeah. Return to Ravnica. Gatecrash, yeah, that's... That's four big sets in a row. I wonder how many cards there are in standard at the moment. <laughs> yeah, uh, with the, certainly with the release of Magic 2014, standard will be pretty massive. Uh, Probably the, big, the biggest it's been since um, Time Spiral Block, and the change from, okay, we printed too many cards, to let's try and find the same medium. Yeah, very true. Uh, yep. So yeah, pretty, pretty small list, but I guess that would make sense. It just seems unusual to us. Um, and also just a fun game is to compare, you know, this is what when we recorded a few days prior to you hearing this, um, yep. you can go look and be like, wow, those guys were way off on the prices because everything's come down. Mm -hmm. uh, the Neomorphling is currently at 
three tickets uh, apiece. So um, I think I'll hold off and wait for them to drop a bit more um, or shoot through the sky and leave me cursing my uh, recipients. Shaking your fist in the air. Yes, although I couldn't necessarily touch it because, well, morphing. Yeah, <laughs> very true. It would exile itself before you got too close. All right, that would bring us to our question of the week. Did you play in any Dragon's Maze pre-release events? And if so, how did it go? Specifically the online ones. Yeah. Yes, because we I'm sure we've already talked about any real-life ones. Uh, AJ, I'm guessing that's a, the no negatory? Not, not currently. Um, devoting all my resources to uh, uh, getting collection back in order, so... Um, uh, can't splash out on um, a few random cards when there's some specific ones I'm after. Makes sense. All right. Uh, I had actually kind of planned to, once I had heard the news of the beta client not being the only platform available to it, unfortunately my week got really, really busy, and I haven't gotten to play much Magic Online since uh, a couple, like a cube draft earlier this week. That's pretty unfortunate. Yep. Sebastian, any, any luck with you? No, I've been in a uh, sunny... Sunny um, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina for the past week. Yeah. Straight. Yep. All right. Uh, so, yeah, we kind of went over three there. But if you guys have any fun stories from the pre-release you want to let us know, uh, we would love to hear them. Yep. All right. That kind of brings us to the end of the podcast. Uh, AJ, what you been playing? I've been doing a bit of Mono Red Minotaurs, uh, using Didgeridoo to drop um, uh, late game uh, Boris Reckoners onto the board and then Blaspheming Act for the wing. No, that's pretty solid. <laughs> it's funny, I was reading like your description here, and you put down sick didgeridoo-fueled beats. And for whatever yeah. reason, my mind immediately went to you being like a DJ in a club, and like Ooh. spinning records, and like playing the didgeridoo. Oh, God. Like DJ AJ in the house. Uh, yeah, could, be worse. could be DJ Redo. This is some trip right there. Who knew you could have so much fun with the didgeridoo? Yeah, it's better than the bone flute. <laughs> Very true. Uh, as for myself, I kind of burned through the last of my Lorwyn and Morning Tide packs that I had from Cube Drafting um, and played some Cube Drafts earlier in the week, along with Lorwyn and Morning Tide. Pretty much forced Merfolk every time, as I often did in that format, and it went all right for me. Um, had a couple where I crashed and burned, a couple I did well, and the cubes could be said the same way. Uh, sometimes you go for the, the gusto and you get really good results, and sometimes it blows up in your face. But I had fun with that, and unfortunately haven't gotten to play much since those went offline this week. But coming, got release events coming up on Monday. I'm sure I'll be jumping into plenty of those. Anything from you, Sebastian? Mm, nothing really, for the most part. All right. Well, uh, that should do it for this week. As usual, if you have any questions, any comments, any constructive criticism, be sure to email us at freedfromtherealmtgo at gmail.com and let us know what you think. Yep. Until next time, goodbye. Later, guys. I'm going everyone.